everyone here this morning. And God has been good and merciful to all of us here this morning. Amen? That's why we're here this morning. It's great to see the family of God here. I, before we begin, actually, I wanted to, as I handed it out, the handout, I wanted to make a little change here so we can let the Holy Spirit lead us. But we really need to seek the Lord and His face and His mercy this morning. Amen? I need to seek Him and we all need to seek Him. So at this time, why don't we seek the Lord in prayer and we'll break into groups of twos and we just pray and pray for God's presence, pray for God's Spirit in this, in this church here as we worship Him and really seek Him right now this time. So we break into groups of twos and we'll come back and then I'll start st- talking so we know um, it's time to get back together. Okay? Just break into groups and praise of twos and threes. sermon entitled this morning is will the real church please stand up 
Will the real church please stand up? I wanted to invite you to turn with me to our opening text in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 23. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 23. In your Bibles, Ephesians 1, 23. And that's good. There's a movement today to unite all the different church bodies into one large church. And this movement is called, does anyone know? Ecumenical movement, right? You ever, how many ever heard of ecumenical movement? Okay, so they want to unite all the churches together. Now this ecumenical movement has a main emphasis, and this emphasis that they teach is called the scandal of division. It's called a scandal of division, they teach. Which teaches that whenever there's division among the churches, of churches not to come, to come together, different denominations, that is, it is seen as the unpardonable sin. Do you see the thinking, right? So in other words, to get away from the unpardonable sin, it's good that everyone does come together and they unite together. And the ecumenical movement's most important question they like to discuss the most is this question. And the question is, what is the church? Isn't that a good question? What is a church and what is its nature and functions? Now these are very good questions that I believe every single person here in this church should know for themselves. For what truly is the church, right? What is the church? This, I, this morning I believe that the answer to this question is found in and only in the Word of God this morning. Amen? So to the word of God, let us go this morning. And as we open this word, may our understanding be enlightened by his Holy Spirit this morning. Amen? Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Help us to understand in Jesus' name. Amen. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 23. What does the Bible say the church is? Ephesians 1, 23, the Bible says this. this we're going to find out what is the church. Which is his body... The church is his body, and also the fullness of him, God, that fills what? All in all. So the church is God's body, right? But also it's the fullness of God that fills all in all. In other words, the church is God's body, but it's also it's the fullness of God. The church is God's fullness that fills all, right? It fills all. Now what does all mean? All what? Turn to Jeremiah chapter 23, verse 24. Let's see what the Bible has to say. We we'll let the Bible define and be our, let the Bible be our teacher this morning. He's the like Sabbath school teacher or um, divine service teacher. The Bible is our teacher this morning. Jeremiah chapter twenty-three, verse twenty-four. Let the Bible speak this morning. What does God feel? The church fills the the church is the fullness of God that fills all. What does it feel? Jeremiah twenty-three, verse twenty-four. The Bible says. Can any hide himself in secret places that I shall not see him, saith the Lord, Jehovah? Then it says here, Do not I, God, fill what? Heaven and earth. So when the Bible talks about God filling all, God is, the Bible is talking about that God fills the heaven and the earth this morning. Amen? So God's church God's church fills, 
which is God's body, fills both the heaven and the earth. This morning, amen. Do you see that? God's church fills both the heaven and the earth. Not only the heaven, but God's true church is actually part of heaven and the earth. In other words, whosoever in this earth is reconciled to God by the blood of the cross is a member of God's true church this morning. Amen? And whosoever in heaven is reconciled by the same God, by the same blood, by the same cross, is a member of the same church also this morning. One arm of the, of the gospel, the cross, embraces heaven, and the other embraces the earth here this morning. And thus, by the cross of Calvary, both heaven and earth are reconciled to God. And this reconciled universe is the church, which the Bible calls the fullness of God this morning. That is the church. Now, what is God doing in Christ? Turn back to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 9 and 10. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 9 and 10. What is God doing in Christ? Know what the Bible says. Looking at what is the church. Having made known unto us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he had purposed in himself. What is God purposing? What is God's purpose? Verse 10. This is God's purpose. That in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in what? Heaven. And which are on what? Earth, even in him. In other words, God's purpose in the end is to gather all that is in heaven and all that is in earth for a great reunion in the end when it comes the second time to take us home. Amen? That is God's purpose, to reunite his true church this morning, the true church that is in heaven and the true church that is on this earth, all in one church. It's not two different churches. There's not a church up in heaven and a church on this earth. There's only one church, the true church of God, which is in heaven and the earth this morning. Now, where are the names written in this church? Hebrews chapter 12, verse 23. Turn to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 23. Know what the Bible says. We went over this last time, but let's look at this again. So this church, heaven and the earth, are the records of this church that's on the heaven and the earth, kept on this earth? Or is it kept up in heaven? Where, does the record, where are the records kept? Look at verse 23. The Bible says, To the general. General means universal. The Greek word means universal. Assembly and church of the firstborn is Christ. So church of Christ. The universal assembly of the church of Christ. So the church of Christ, the names are written where? In heaven. So the names are written in heaven. So the general universal, the name for universal is Catholic. Again, we have here the church is universal, entirely the whole, of both the heaven and the earth. It says right here, right? Written in heaven, and to God the judge of all. So the universal church that we learn is in heaven and the earth here this morning. My question to you this morning is this. Is the Seventh-day Adventist church, as you know it, or even the Holocaust Seventh-day Adventist church, Truly a universal spiritual body, or has it become merely an earthly human organization? Hold that thought. We're going to go more into this. Where is our emphasis as a church organization in the year 2009 today? That's my question. And we're going to get back to this.
Turn to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19. Turn back to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19. What do we join through Christ? Ephesians 2, verse 19. Keep that thought in your mind. The Bible says here, Now therefore, you are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints. So with the saints, you become and of the what? Household of God. When you, through the blood of Jesus Christ, join the church, you become part of God's household. You become a part of God's home here this morning. Amen? And when you're part of God's home, you're, you're playing a special part in God's heart because anyone who actually is a part of my home is special to my heart. Anyone that's part of your home this morning is special to your heart. So we are special to God if and only if we have submitted and surrendered our will to Jesus Christ. We are part of God's household and God's home here this morning. Praise be to God this morning. Amen? Not only that, look at Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14 and 15. Notice what it says here. 3, verse 14 and 15 says, For this cause... I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. 15 says, Of whom the whole, what is that word? Family, where? In heaven and what? Earth is named. There it is again. Both God's church, His true church, is both found in heaven and the earth this morning. Amen? It is the true family of God. In other words, when you surrender your will to God, you become part of the family of God here this morning. Amen? That's why we sing it every time before fellowship lunch. We always sing, I'm so glad to be a part of the what? Aren't you glad to be part of the family of God this morning? Amen? It is a privileged part of God's family, but God's family is not only on this earth. We have to realize that. God's family is on this earth and also up there in heaven. For there's Elijah up there in heaven, isn't there? We're part of the family of the angels also that's up there in heaven. But here's the sad thing. Not all of this family is at home yet. True? How many of you get together for like family reunions or maybe for Thanksgiving or Christmas and you haven't seen family for a long time and you come together? Isn't that a wonderful time? to see everybody you haven't seen for a long time, and you had good relationships with your family, and you can't wait to see each other, you haven't seen your brother for 10 years, and you finally come together, and, and there's an excitement there because there is a family reunion, there's a family gathering that's very exciting. Not everyone in this spiritual family, in God's church, is at home yet, for many are still in the graves. Some are still in the depths of the sea. Others are strangers and pilgrims on this earth, but even though all are not home, all are still members of the one and only heavenly family up there in heaven. Amen? Amen. See, we may not be home, but we're still part of God's family this morning. Amen? And even though we may be separated from my brother or sister, and we haven't seen our mom for 15 years, we are still family here this morning. Amen? And even though we're not reunited with our, with our heavenly father and those we lost, in through the grips of death in the grave. 
One day, there's a point in time that will soon come, and with the grand homecoming will one day take place this morning. Amen? For the Lord himself, we're told, shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Amen? Amen. And it is at this time that the whole family will finally be reunited together up in heaven forever. What a beautiful time that would be. And beloved, this is the church according to the Bible, the true and only church of the living God, and nothing else. Now, what does the man of sin do? Turn to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3 and 4. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3 and 4. So there's a true church. And God's people at that time, after Jesus died, the, the apostles, the disciples, they understood the true church. They followed the model of the true church. Then something happened. The man of sin came in, and he changed the structure and organization of the church. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3 and 4. Paul was saying, Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come, the second coming will not come, except there come a falling away first. In other words, you're going to know that the second coming can't come until a new system arises before the second coming. It must happen first. And that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. The papacy had to be revealed before. The organization of the papacy and the Catholic Church had to rise up first before Jesus could come again. And they said, verse 4, who opposes and exalted himself above all that is called God, or that is worshipped, so that he is, is as God, sitting in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. You see, it was through the hierarchy of the Catholic Church that there was set up above the churches men of position who took the place of God. And this authority over the churches with its confederation and government really de derived itself from the old heathen Greek Republic, and they call it the Amphictyonic Councils. It was of heathen origins. And they got it back from the heathens back in Greece. And it was from this heathen-derived institution that now the blessed term of the church was now applied to. So they set up a new system, and this system they now called the church, which really wasn't the church at all. But not only that, not only did they apply a new meaning for the word the church, but the word Catholic was stolen and perverted to the same blind heathen use. So that which once meant universal, entirely the whole, in heaven and the earth, was now perversely applied to only a small group now on this earth. Are you following me? Not only the church was before, it was of heaven and the earth, it was universal, but now the word Catholic that they used applied to only a small group of people called the Catholic Church, and that is now the Catholic Church. 
And this is how the so-called Catholic Church arose, which is by its title a complete contradiction to the very word that God placed in his word, the general assembly of God. For remember, the church fills all of heaven and the earth. Now, among the older groups of the Roman and Greek Catholics, there is a great rivalry among Roman Catholics and Greek Catholics. And the rivalry is this. Who is the most original, the most truest, the one that is the, the best church out there, the oldest among each other? And not only among the Catholics, but even among the many Protestant churches, there is also a spirit of ambition as to which church is supreme that is out there right now. But all of this competition is really foolish and ridiculous when you realize that what they are striving for is not really of God, but is of the man of sin himself. Amen? Think about it. In this world, it would not be a high honor if you go around and tell everyone that you claim to be the oldest and the truest of all the imposters in a town, right? To be the chiefest sinner in a community. It would be no honor to yourself to do that. And today, that's exactly what the churches are doing in this ecumenical movement. But when the younger churches come together with the older churches, and they're vying for power and authority because they're the oldest, and they're the truest, and they're the most original, there is no credit to be the most originalist, the truest imposter of all the churches. Because all of his impossible churches, the only true church that there is out there is a church that a family of God found in heaven and on this earth. You see, the Bible, God's church part of the second coming of Christ, is not composed of a mega church gathering of all Christendom together, but instead it is composed of a remnant of Christendom who keep the commandments of God and have the faith of Jesus Christ this morning. Amen? That is God's church according to the word of God. It is not a unity, a false unity of coming all together of all different denominations to get the most amount of people all together on the one same building. Even if you would get all the so-called people and the representatives from all the churches in the whole world and come together, that would still not be the church. Even if they were all truly converted, that would not be the church. Because there's people that's missing that is not there in that meeting and in that council, Right? That is not the church. What happened during the time of the early church? 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 7. Look at verse 7. It says here, continue on the study of the man of sin. Notice the Bible says. It says, for, in the mystery, for the mystery of iniquity does already work. Only he who now let will let until he be taken out of the way. In other words, Paul is saying, during the early church, he said, the man of sin will come in the future, but even now, the mystery of iniquity, that false organizational structure of the Catholic church is already working and being seen within the early Christian church at this time. During the time of pagan Rome, the mystery of iniquity was working and there came a falling away from the truth of the gospel, from the spirituality of the church, and from the experience of the Christian life. Christianity then took on a different look. It now had become a mere outward profession, a taking on of the Christian name, of having one's name now written by a man with a pen and ink on a paper in a book and on this earth. 
It had evolved into an outward compliance with just mere forms. And a large number of these men became the leaders and elders, elders of the church back then. And the ecclesiastical methods and machinery then took the place of the Holy Spirit and his divine organization, and thus arose the Catholic Church. See, we don't realize it. The same church that Jesus was a part of, the same church that his apostles were a part of and were leaders of, this is the very same church that the Catholic Church came out of. The Catholic Church was not a separate organization that was started. It has evolved into the Catholic Church. Are you following me? The pure church of the apostles, the pure church of Jesus Christ himself, evolved over time into the Catholic Church, beloved. Are you following me? And what was it that made it? They had put people, the organizational structure had put people and man over the Holy Spirit. I want to read you this quote right here. Before we point the finger, what about us this morning? Have we also allowed ecclesiastical methods and machinery to take the place of the Holy Spirit and His divine organization? And I can only say, Completely, 100% yes this morning. Completely. We have allowed man to take the place of the Holy Spirit within his church. I want to read this. This is actually taken from um, Elder Neil. Now, this is how typically a sect or movement evolves into a church. That's what he's taking from. And actually, the General Conference President, Robert Pearson, you, um, read this and then preached a sermon off this. Now, I want you to read this. And his appeal was this. Let us not go down this road. This was 40 years ago. This is what he wrote. He said this. A sect or movement is often begun by a charismatic leader with tremendous drive and commitment. And now this is for any church. It's not just our church. This is a research done and this is what they came up with. And it rises as a protest against worldliness and formalism in a church. They're, not, they're tired of how the church is status quo and going to the farms of service and worship. It is generally embraced by the poor. The rich would lose too much by joining it. Since it is unpopular, despised, and persecuted by society in general, it has definite beliefs firmly held by zealous members. Each member makes a personal decision to join it and knows what he believes. There is little organization, human organization, or property and there are few buildings. The group has strict standards and controls on behavior. Preachers, often without education, arise by inner compulsion. There's little concern about public relations. And then it passes on to the second generation, it says. With growth, there comes a need for organization and buildings. As a result of industry and frugality, members become prosperous. As prosperity increases, persecution begins to wane. Children born into the movement do not have to make personal decisions to join it. They do not necessarily know what they believe. They do not need to hammer out their own positions. These have been worked out for them. 
Preachers arise more by selection and by apprenticeship to older workers than by direct inner compulsion. In the third generation, organization develops and institutions are established. The need is seen for schools to pass on the faith of the fathers. Colleges are established. Members have to be exhorted to live up to the standards, while at the same time the standards of membership are being lowered. The group becomes lax about disfellowship non-practicing members. Missionary zeal cools off. There's more concern about public relations. Leaders study methods of propagating their faith, sometimes employing extrinsic rewards or external rewards as motivation for service by the members. Youth question why they are different from others and intermarry with those not of their faith. In the fourth generation, there is much machinery. The number of administrators increases while the number of workers at the grassroots level becomes proportionately less. Great church councils are held to define doctrines. More schools, universities, and seminaries are established. These go to the world for accreditation and tend to become secularized. There's a re-examination of positions and modernizing of methods. Attention is given to contemporary culture with an interest to the arts, music, architecture, literature. The movement seeks to become relevant to contemporary society by becoming involved with popular causes. Service becomes formal. The group enjoys complete acceptance by the world. The movement has become a church. And my question to us this morning, are we a mere church or are we a movement this morning? What are we this morning? Turn to me to Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 to 2. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 to 2. The General Conference president, after reading this, he preached that this was 40 years ago. He said, let us not go down this road. You can preach into the pastors. We can stop this. Let's not go down this path. But I can say honestly that we have gone down this path. And we've already gone past it. We have reached part of the seventh generation and eighth generation in our church. Past this, 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 this line was read here. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. Notice the Bible says, When the Holy Spirit is present, what does it do? Notice the Bible says, it says, In the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. And notice what the Bible says, And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And notice what it says here. And the Spirit of God, what? Moved. Moved upon the face of the water. When the Holy Spirit is present, beloved, it has to and will always move this morning. Amen, beloved? In other words, whenever the Spirit of God is, wherever it is, there is always movement this morning, beloved. Amen? When the Holy Spirit of God is, there is movement. So when you feel in your heart being moved, when the Word of God is spoken to you this morning, whatever it is, that is the moving of the Holy Spirit upon your heart, beloved. Amen? When you see God moving outside inside the church, then you know that the Holy Spirit is moving. But the opposite is true also. When you don't see things going on in movement, then the Holy Spirit is not moving within a church in your life, beloved. Does that make sense? 
About 150 years ago, we were called into existence as a people to be channels through which the Holy Spirit was to work and move through. I'm read you this last quote is here. This is actually from Lothbrook. He was actually known, he wrote the book about church organization. He was the man, the, one of the original pioneers, the man that they went to for church structure and organ, organization 150 years ago. And there's another book he wrote called Heavenly Visions. And this is what he said about our church. I'm glad that I am a Seventh-day Adventist, that I belong to this church. It is more than the word church usually suggests. Are you following me? It's a church on the march. It is a what? Movement. The Holy Spirit moved. It moves, beloved. It is a movement. We're more than a church. We're a movement. We are the Advent movement this morning. We call it. It's a church that is going somewhere. A church that has a definite aim. It is a movement, not a church. Then he tells a story, he says, some years ago in Germany, a gentleman stood on the edge of a big tent and watched the Sabbath morning service, a rather stirring service. He came to me in the after meeting. He was a stranger, a patient in our sanitarium. He said, I am a Catholic, and I must not say much because I'm a Catholic, but I see that your church is different. You have an aim. An objective. Ah, he had caught the thought. We do have a name. We have an objective. We are in a movement that is going somewhere. Beloved, this morning, do you really believe that we are a movement? And do you believe that we are going somewhere this morning, beloved? If we're not moving, then we need a question. Is the Holy Spirit truly moving within our church this morning? Have we lost a vision over six, seven, eight generations this morning? And have we transferred from a movement back into a traditional church, just like all the other churches? I can only say yes. You know, all the pastors, and everyone knows that. And I talk to all the pastors, everyone, they, they know that. I share this with the conference president, conference executive secretary. They totally agree with me. We reach status quo. Isn't it time we do something about it, beloved? Haven't we lost our vision as a people? Look at this quotation here, the second one on the back page. Ellen White, Testimonies to Ministers and Gospel Workers, page 300. Let me tell you, you know how the church was simple back then in the early church? Very simple. Simplicity was, was the main vision of the church. And then the Catholic church came with this overly organized, complex, organizational, institutional structure. But notice what it says here. Anyway, it says, let me tell you that the Lord will work in this last work in a manner very much out of the common order of things and a way that would be contrary to any human plan this morning, beloved. Amen? In other words, beloved, we have come so, com we have some so complex in our institutional organization. There's going to come a point in the future God says he's going to take us back to the simple ways where the Holy Spirit can really move because I believe with all my heart the main reason why God can bless our churches in the local level is because people are getting in the way of the Holy Spirit. Amen? And the leadership gets in the way of the Holy Spirit. If the leadership gets out of the way, 
God will truly bless his church. Let me tell you that the Lord will work in his last work in a manner very much out of the common order of things. All things are not normally done. A way that is contrary to all human planning. Listen to this. There will be those among us, and it still is, who will always want to control the work of God, to dictate even what movements shall be made. They want to be the head of the church and not let the Holy Spirit when the work goes forward under the direction of the angel who joins the third angel in the message to be given to the world. Listen to this. God will use ways and means by which it will be seen that he is taking the reins in his own hands, beloved one. Amen? And I praise God he does, because there will be a people in the last days who finally realize that God Christ is truly the only head of the church of Jesus Christ, beloved. Amen? And so they finally realized that. They said, God, we realized that we took the reign into our own hands in God's church. We miserably failed. Therefore, take back the reins and control and be the true head of your church. And then and only then will God bless the church, beloved, this one. Amen? So God will take the reins into his own hands, beloved. I praise God for that. Listen to this. The workers, those who work in the last days, will be surprised. Why? by the complexity that is used, the organizational structure that's so complicated. Is that what it says? The workers will be surprised by the simple means that he will use to bring about and perfect his work of righteousness and money. Amen? We're going to be surprised that it's not as complex and structurally organized and everything in the local church. It's going to be in a very simple, very, very simple way. So much so that it's going to shock everyone and surprise everyone. How can God be moving and it's not done the way we know it should be done? Are you following me? Why? Because God is the actual head of his church. And no man is hindering the movement of the Holy Spirit moving among his church. I am convicted. Major obstacle from the Holy Spirit. See, God wants to pour the Holy Spirit upon his church. The problem with the Holy Spirit not being poured upon his church is because people are the very ones that hinder the Holy Spirit from being poured out to his church. We hinder it. God wants to pour out his Holy Spirit, but people, we are the very ones that hinder the Holy Spirit from being poured out. And if we would only just get out of the way, God will pour out His Spirit, beloved. Amen? God will pour out His Spirit upon His people. Beloved, we were at one time called more than a church. We were a movement. Can we truly say this morning that we are better defined as a movement or a mere church this morning? I know why I believe. Maybe sometimes the Holy Spirit has to wake us up and reveal to us that where we're at is not really where we should be at, right? Self-deception is a dangerous thing to think that actually we're doing good when we're not. That's Laodicea's condition. To actually know that you're not in a good condition is actually the working of the Holy Spirit upon your heart. When you realize, whoa, we're not in a good condition, that, that thought is implanted, Ellen White says, by the Holy Spirit. To seek for something better in your life. And we thank God's church this morning. 
Today, God is calling upon His people once again to go back to the simplicity of depending wholly upon His Holy Spirit. And when self is laid aside among His people, God will then work out of the common order of things in a way that is contrary to any human planning. And it is then that God will then take the reign and leadership into His own hands for His church to see His church make it through the last days. For when God takes the reins into His own hands, He will be the only one who will get the glory this morning, beloved. And when this is done, the glory of man will lay in the dust where it belongs. So this morning, don't you want God to take control of his church and to head it this morning? If this is what you really want, then why don't you let him start by taking the reins of your life here this morning? Why don't you let him come into your heart and take control of everything that you are? If this is your desire, then why don't you make a commitment to God by raising your hand with me this morning? Amen. God is merciful to us and is good to us. And may we strive to let God be the head of this church. Our closing hymn is 350, Blessed Be the Tie. And may he bind his church, his true church that is in heaven and on this earth.